Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And so grateful that God has allowed me to preach through it this morning in this chapter in verse uh, 1 through 13 that we'll be looking at. So I want to ask you a question as we're getting started. Have you ever wondered if there's not something more? You go to work and you earn money and you think, okay, there's something more out there, but it's not money. It's not success. You know, you go to school, make the grades, perhaps you get in the school you want to get into, and man, you're so happy at first, but you think, isn't there something more? People even attend church today, and they listen to some great music, and maybe wherever you're, you normally attend church, it may be the music's just wonderful, the preaching's great, and, and yet you don't see any real life change taking place in your life on a daily basis because of what you're experiencing. You know, you, maybe you're part of a church that serves the Lord and, and witnesses for Christ, but there's just something more. We have more and more people across the nation today not going to church. Only 22% of the people on any given Sunday are, are attending church. And a few years ago, it was in the 30s. And so people are attending less and less because their cultural Christianity has kind of bypassed us, you might say, or, or gone by the way. And yet, now people are coming for something more, but are they really finding it? Then you, you find people that are like William Borden, that really have experienced something in life that you wish you had. William Borden was the heir to the Borden fortune. And this happened around the year uh, 1900. Uh, he graduated from high school and his parents, having all kinds of money, sent him on a uh, trip around the world. And so he's going on this trip around the world. He was able to go to some third world countries as well as some uh, other places as well. And he came back and he says, I'm called to the mission field. God's changed my life, been saved, called to the mission field. His parents, his family and as a whole thought maybe it would pass because they were really expecting him to take over the business. He went to Yale University in 1905 and because of his encounters in class, even in chapel, he began to survey the professors and the students around the school. And he found that really it was devoid of real spirituality, humanistic philosophy, and also just sin-ridden and sin-laden. And so he and a buddy of his started a prayer meeting. And because of, they say because of his calling, and because of his calling being so sure, and his mission so clear, that all the students kind of were drawn to him as someone who kind of knew the answers. Well, that Bible study went from two people to 1,000 people before he graduated in 1909. Now, that's significant in the fact that there was only 1,300 students in all of Yale University back then. So by 1909, 1,000 of the 1,300 students were going to one of these Bible studies. And then he went to the mission field. And you think to yourself, wow, you know, for somebody to make that kind of impact, that kind of difference, it really clicked with him. Why doesn't it click with me? Why doesn't it click with my friends? Why do my, maybe you go to church because your friends are here? You go to church because of the fellowship. We have some people that never miss Bible study because that's their friendships, that's their, their fellowship. And so why do we do what we do? And that's going to answer all the questions for us. And so as we look in this passage, I wanna share with you some about someone, many of the people in the Bible, that had an encounter with God 
that really changed their life, changed the whole outlook of life. And we understand that if we were to study Moses today, we were to study uh, the life of Joseph, study the life of, um, of uh, Jeremiah and Amos, uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, all of them have something in common. And that is they had this really supernatural encounter with the Lord that really changed their life. And so as I look at this passage this morning, I notice that there's three common things that sort of happen in what's going on. Num- number one, there's an upward look. Then there's an inward look, causes an inward look. And then finally, there's an outward look. Because you and I can go through all the motions and do all the things that we're supposed to do without it really coming from the heart. So let's talk about the passionate heart. You know, you, you watch maybe television and some good programs there, and a lot of people are telling you, perhaps uh, this is how you wanna live, and this is what you wanna do, and this is what your opportunities are. This morning, I just simply wanna tell you how that's done, according to the scripture. And so we look at this, at the upward call, or the upward look, the inward look, the outward look. Verse one, let's look first of all at this upward look. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So I want you to get the picture here. Uzziah, who in the world was that? Well, he was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, southernmost kingdom. And when uh, the Bible says that Uzziah died that year, very significant. Uzziah was the, pre, uh, was the, uh, the king of Israel for about, uh, or Judah for about 52 years. Now, there were about 20 good kings, or 20 kings total, in the nation of Judah. Eight of them were good. Every time uh, God had a good king in charge, he blessed the nation of Israel. Every time there was an evil king in charge, he didn't. Uzziah was there for 52 years. Isaiah was a part of the royal family. He's one of the few prophets that were an elitist, that had a, a place of privilege. Most of them came from the farm but not him. He was kind of an elitist, and that's important to know as we look at the rest of this passage. And so Uzziah died, he's at the funeral, he's gonna be at the funeral because after all, he's part of the royal family. And so now he's thinking, I need some comfort. I need some encouragement. And he goes to the temple. What happens at the temple? Something happened at the temple that he would have least expected of anything else happening at the temple. He saw God. You know, it's funny to think about, but the last person he expected to see at the temple was God. Now think about that for just a moment. Isn't that kind of like what we are in our worship? You know, we, we come and we expect to maybe have some good music, perhaps, and, uh, I think certainly, and a biblical message. We expect to see our friends. We expect, we expect, but do we really expect for God to show up? Do we really expect to really witness the presence of of God. Well, this surprised him. The last person he expected to see was God. So he saw God lofty, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now notice what he finds here. He above him stood the seraphim. Now the seraphs, only mentioned, I think, really this time in the Bible. Seraphim means it's plural. And each one of them had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Why? Well, because they were witnessing the glory of God. And the glory of God was so profound and so great that even the angels could not stand to look upon it. It says, with two, they covered their feet. That's humility. With two, they flew. 
because of the presence of God, they were, they were wanting to be involved and they were ready to be involved in whatever God wanted them to do. We find these seraphims witnessing there and we read then in verse 3. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I want you to notice here. It shook. There was a quake. Every time it seems that God would show up, something was disturbed. Something of weightiness happened. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook, the graves split, they were open. We find this more and more and more in the Bible that God shows up. Why? Well, because of his glory. When we think about glory, we think about a lot of different things. But one of the things it means in the original Hebrew and Greek, it points to weightiness, the weight of things. Now, if you had, maybe you're um, standing there at your, your pool or for that matter, your, say your bathtub, and you're about to put maybe the kids in the, in the tub. And you say, well, you, this little rubber ducky, you know, your, your four-year-old likes the rubber ducky. And so you, you throw the rubber ducky into the water. What's going to happen? Somebody tell me. It what? It floats. However, if you were to take, uh, you know, a Power Ranger, I don't know, I'm just thinking about something you could throw in the water, uh, and you throw that in, what happens to the Power Ranger? It's solid. It does what? It sinks to the bottom. It has a splash. If you're with your pool, you throw a flotation device on the top, that's fine. But you throw your kid in the water, they're going to sink, right? If they don't have anything on them. Why? Because your, your child weighs more than the water. And the reason the, the rubber ducky floats on the tub, it weighs less than the water. Now, the glory of God is so great, he's weightier than us. He weighs more. He's more solid than us. And so... When something drops in to the glory of God, it splashes. It goes, it splashes, it disturbs the water. You have waves. So anytime you experience the glory of God, there's going to be waves in your life. There's going to be disturbances. There's going to be a rearranging. In fact, uh, this word has the idea of a wave. A wave's going to come up in your life. And it's going to be disturbed. And a lot of us just don't want to get that close because we don't want to be disturbed. Well, why is that? Well, here we find because of the glory of the holiness of God. Look in verse 3. One called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They just kept saying that over and over and over and again. And so holy, um, well, anytime you mention something, it's three times in Hebrew, it's, it, it, in Hebrew, it's giving it an emphasis. But you get the idea. They were so caught up in God. They just kept saying the same thing over and over again, at least periodically, if not permanently. And Isaiah was seeing this holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Whole earth is filled with his glory. Why would he mention the holiness of God to Isaiah? It's because Isaiah was an elitist. One of the things you notice in the Bible about the different confrontations people have with God is that they are always personal. They're personal. They're not private. There's a difference. But it's personally adapted to who you are. When God appeared before Jeremiah and called him as a prophet, he says, Lord, I'm, I'm just too young. Nobody's going to listen to me. When he called Moses at the burning bush, the glory of God was there. He had to take off his shoes or he was on holy ground. But he said, I'm just too old. I, I, I can't speak well. You're going to have to get somebody else to help me. They needed uplifting. They needed encouragement. 
Isaiah needed humbling. To Isaiah, he was kind of like, hey, you know, I'm something. I'm something in the kingdom. And, you know, I may be a sinner. I know that. I've sinned against God, but it's not that bad. But now he sees and he witnesses the holiness of God. And the reason, let me just say something about the holiness of God. People say, you know, people kind of like take on an attribute of their own. They kind of like that one the best. An attribute is a characteristic of God. It could be love. Uh, Two of the most popular ones, well, three, love, grace, and and sovereignty. You know, people talk about, oh, God's sovereign. I I hang out with people every once in a while. That's all they say, God's sovereign. That's the number one attribute of God, they say. That God rules the universe. Everything else comes under that. Or somebody says, no, it's love. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Of course, he's, he's dictated by this one attribute of love. But I don't read in the Bible where any one attribute is greater than the other. And so if you're adding to, if you're saying that, you're just implying something in your own mind. It's not really there. But if it were there, you need to know that seven out of 12 times that God describes himself, he's described as holy. Holy. But we don't like that one as well. Why not? Well, one of the Puritan preachers of old, Jonathan Edwards, um, came up with 10 or 12 things that really um, could, you could tell you're a Christian if you did these 10, 12 things. One of them was that you appreciated the holiness of God. Why would he say that? Well, because every other attribute, really, you can use for yourself. You could just be in it for yourself. The power of God. Oh, I've got my own agenda here. And I can use the power of God. You hear that on television sometimes. Well, God's got the power. Man, you can, you can, God's got favor in your life, and he, you can use that power. Wisdom, the wisdom of God. It's a great thing. I can use the wisdom of God. I need to make good decisions with my life. Forgiveness. Everybody wants to be over guilt. You can use forgiveness, but what do you do with holiness? Holiness is not utilitarian. Holiness is something, if anything, makes you feel less than. It makes you feel more guilty. And I think one of the reasons why we separate ourselves from getting too close to God is this one thing. We don't want to, hey, I'm with you. I don't want to feel bad about myself. I don't like going to a church service where a guy's preaching on sin and all that kind of stuff, and I've got to do something. Now, I mean, I just came here just just to learn something. You know, I came here to sing something. I know. I told you an illustration last week about how the cop shows how they separate themselves. This couple on Blue Bloods, young guy, young girl, they've been partners, I don't know, for years, and they're always hinting around about that tension between them. But they never do anything about it, right? And then when they finally got engaged, and they just got engaged uh, you know, on the show, then all, all of a sudden now the show's gonna end, I'm sure, because you know, that, that's over. But why was the separation? Well, the separation's there because we're partners. You know, if, if we start dating, we can't be partners anymore. We can't, we may respond to, a, to an emergency call a little differently than what we would respond. We, may not, we might protect one another too much. It might, 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 might. So there's a wall. Why is there a wall between us and God? Why is it that sometimes I just don't want to get that close? And part of the problem is, is just what Isaiah was going through. He was struck by the guiltiness that he felt. There was a a fear there. 
and only the courageous ones step up. Well, because of this, there was also an inward look. Verse 5. Hang with me. Things get better. And I said, woe is me. They get worse before they get better. (laughs) Uh, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Let's just break this down. Woe is me. That's impending judgment. That's not woe like, you know, in a a carriage or something. It's impending judgment. I, I don't have a chance. What do I do now? I realize how how sinful and guilty I am. Why? He said, because I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord of hosts. I've been compared suddenly. And he needed to be compared because he needed to see his sin for what it was. It's like some of you, you know, you you think, well, you know, I'm I'm really smart. I'm the smartest student at at my high school. You know, I didn't, didn't get the valedictorian thing, but, you know, I never... May to be. A either, but a lot of C's. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a, I'm a smart guy. And you go 